Hello and welcome inside episode 20 of the Scully Scoop podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scully. Really appreciate all the feedback I've gotten through the first 19 editions of the Scully Scoop podcast and looking forward to bringing you many more. Don't forget, subscribe to us on iTunes and on YouTube. We're also available to listen on SoundCloud. Well, sports are back. NHL and NBA have gone through a bunch of exhibition games and now they are back this weekend. The NBA with some regular season action to to keep going while the NHL, they're going to have some play-in games and then of course the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that's where I'm going with my guest on this week's show. My guest is Matt Larkin, who's a senior writer with the Hockey News. We're going to discuss the NHL, the return to play, some fashion choices for some of the guys, and Matt's going to give us his pick to win the Stanley Cup in just a few weeks. I think it's time now to go to the interview with Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. And we're pleased to be joined by Matt Larkin, who's a senior writer at the Hockey News. Matt, welcome to the show. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Adam. I'm loving the background. You got a lot of, a lot of nice decor. You got me beat for sure. You know what? I'm not going to lie to you. So we actually, I spent like a, a month with my dad redecorating the back here. I do a lot of work in golf. I was drafted in the OHL back in the day. So I have to have the jersey prominently shown. I feel like watching all everything on TV over the last four months or so, the background has been a focal point for a lot of people on television i think it has for sure and people talk about it a lot i think it kind of ties back to the meme of the british guy that was doing that he was the, the news correspondent and the kids climbing in the background <laughs> it was almost like he was on an island back then but now you know your background is, has become part of who you are if you're being kind of the, you know the talking head being interviewed for anything uh and if we're talking about that let, let's call a spade a spade here my background's pretty lacking you know, I got, I got a bookshelf just visible. You can right. see a little bit of, you know, my, my daughter's stroller and yep. mini shopping cart, but it's, it's pretty minimalist if we're being honest. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the background, it's, it, it's been so much fun to design and, and I, I'm sure you'll keep working on yours and, and, you know, add a couple jerseys in there, a couple plaques, but uh, it's been fun to be creative through this, through these wild times. And speaking of wild times, the NHL looks like we're coming back. It's, it's pretty exciting. We've seen, uh, we're recording this the day after the Maple Leafs played a game, the Flyers and Penguins played a game, also the Flames and Oilers played a game. Um, how awesome it's, is it to have hockey finally back? It's surreal. And a lot of people have been saying, you know, I've seen a lot of the tweets like, hey, this video game looks so real because it, it's it's like a hyper reality. It's back, but it's obviously not back in its normal form. Right. So it feels almost like a, it's a separate entity with the way, get, you know, the, the NHL is kind of presenting the games. But hey, it's it's better than nothing. And I think I, I do think we'll get used to it. So by the time these playoffs are done, uh, a lot of people have talked about is there going to be an asterisk? I, I really don't think that's going to be a case. I think we're going to get so used to it that it's going to feel like our new normal within a couple months from now. I feel like uh, it was Ryan Ellis who had the quote saying that it would, this would actually be harder to win the Stanley Cup this year because there's a 140-day break in the middle of the season where it's longer than a usual offseason. It'll help some teams, you know, like a Jake Gensel, for example, who had a shoulder injury and was going to miss six months in the rest of the season. And it'll help guys, you know, who are injured all around. So this is going to be fascinating to see how this goes out, isn't it? For sure. And when you think about it, you know, what's something no team has ever done in NHL history? That's win 19 games to win the Stanley Cup, win five playoff series to win the Stanley Cup. And if there's, if there's one of the teams that's in the bottom 16 that's in the playing round that ends up winning the Stanley Cup, they will have done that, 19 victories. So how do you give a team that's won 19 games an asterisk? 
Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good point. Now, before all this started, I was sort of on the fence about whether hockey would feel weird be, being played in the middle of the summer. Now I'm pretty pumped. Where are you on this? I'm pumped. I mean, it, you know, it's been so long since we've had anything to cheer for, especially from a sports perspective, even if you're thinking about, you know, movie theaters are closed, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So everything feels fresh and exciting right now. Uh, you know, I think there there might be a bit of overload of like content stress because we have baseball and basketball coming back at the same time. So you're going to have to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. So a month ago, two months ago, would we be okay with having too many sports to watch at once? We'd say, yes, please. Please just give us all the sports all the time. So it'll, you know, it'll take a little getting used to to navigate it all. But I think it's absolutely a positive. Yeah, you know, I'm someone who covers a lot of golf, so it's been awesome to have the PGA Tour back for the last six weeks. But you mentioned baseball there, and obviously things are haywire, weird, crazy. The Blue Jays are playing in 12 different parks. The Marlins aren't even playing right now as we're recording. But it seems like the NBA and the NHL have hit a major home run in the way they've decided to format this, haven't they? Absolutely, and it's it's very easy to see the difference. It's the bubble, right? And baseball... Yep. They made the call. And I know it's tough because baseball is just a sport that it's more difficult to establish a bubble because there are just so many more games Mm -hmm. and there's so many more variations on how long a game could go in baseball as well. So I do think I understand why baseball decided not to go that route, but I I don't think they put enough thought into it. I think you could have done something like, you know, a hub city for each division and you find a facility. I know there's one, I think it's in Indiana that has multiple diamonds on it. And you could have modified that. And I think it's pretty clear that not, attempting the bubble route was disastrous and you know like you said it's been a resounding success so far nba and nhl and the good news is that's from the for the nhl using that as the example that's from phase three phase four is when the bubble is really in lockdown and the fact that in the previous phase when teams are still in their own camps we're not contracting the virus that's especially good news because theoretically now that they're in the bubble it should be even easier to keep things locked down their behavior is going to be even more regulated. So, you know, you have to hope that no one strays, but hopefully I was tweeting this the other day, hopefully what's happening in baseball and you see how quickly it can spread in a team. Ideally that's a a deterrent for hockey players and basketball players, understanding how quickly it can happen. And I think if you're the NFL, you have to be looking at how all three sports of the other big four are, are handling this. And I think you have to think, Hey, we've got four or five weeks. We've got to get going on a bubble plan because it's not working in baseball the other sports have got it figured out. So football's got to try and figure out a bubble, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. It'll be fascinating to see what happens in baseball and football. Bravo to the NHL for doing what they're doing in the NBA as well. Now, before we actually talk about hockey, I want to talk a little fashion. So forever, NHL players have worn their suits to games. When, when Don Cherry was on the air, he'd, oh, look how, look how sharp this guy looks, this young man looks. I decided to wear a velour jacket for this interview for that reason. So... Uh, during Tuesday's games, we saw players come into the rink as if they've got, come off the golf course, or you have Austin Matthews wearing a bucket hat with Converse and high socks. Where are you on this whole fashionista thing? I think it's pretty cool to see players show some of their fashion walking to games. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it, you need to have a suit for everything, especially for, for you know, players who complained about this before. You, you have the suit on just to be seen walking in the bowels of the arena. You take it off after the game, you're still sweating. You know, I always think of the, the Seinfeld episode where George, he, he gets dressed too fast. He's like, ah, it didn't stick. He's already sweating. And players do the same. They have to get dressed too fast. Their bodies yeah. haven't cooled down. They're walking around in a sweaty suit after the game. I think it's it's just more realistic to be comfortable. And you're still going to see variation. I still think you might see some players who wear suits because some guys are more just into being more flamboyant with their fashion. But you're going to get a chance to see 
players distinguish their personalities more. And, you know, guys like Austin Matthews, David Pasternak is a big fashion guy as well. So I, I think it's a good thing. And I, I think hockey is often lacking for displays of personality. So anything that lets players kind of separate themselves from each other with their fashion choices, I think it's a good thing. Why not? Absolutely. Why not? I'm looking forward to seeing what Henrik Lundqvist wears to games. I'm sure he'll still have a couple Gucci suits on or, or something of, of the nice variety. But uh, 24 teams now have a chance to win the Stanley Cups. What, what are your thoughts on this format? Like it? Don't like it? Would you change anything if, uh, if they could do it again? Hey, you know, I, I was pretty vocal about this on Twitter when the format was being announced. And I, it was, you know, we've all been locked in our homes. A lot of people have had really tough situations to go through, even from a mental health standpoint. Oh, it's yeah. been an unprecedented time for the entire world. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like you're, you're starved for entertainment, something to make you feel good. And your first reaction is to complain, well, what about the format? It's not fair. I'm, I'm thinking, come on. It's unprecedented no matter what. Even if you contracted it and made it 16 teams, only the teams that were in playoff seats more fair, it's still going to be strange. It's, that would still be unfair to the teams that were on the playoff bubble, almost in the playoffs, right? So there was no perfect way to do this. And when you realize that, once you're operating under that framework, you realize there's going to be nothing that's normal. You may as well make it entertaining within that framework, right? So 2014 tournament, I think it's very exciting. And I'm sure we're going to see at least one upset. It's bound to happen. Something's going to happen that's strange, whether it's, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, of course, are worried about Carey Price, whether it's Price standing on his head. It could be any team. And I just think, you know what? Let's embrace it because nothing about this year is going to be normal anyway. And I think we'll talk about this tournament for years to come. As remember the 2014 bonanza? <laughs> there's nothing, there's never been anything like it. There probably will never be anything like it later unless we have, you know, a second wave that causes this to happen again next year. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. So let's just enjoy what might be the, the most interesting and unpredictable tournament we've ever seen in the NHL. We're in conversation here with Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. And NHL exhibition games are underway. Qualifier games are just around the corner. If you could pick an under-the-radar team to make some noise during these playoffs, who would that be? Ooh, okay, under-the-radar. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, I have a couple upset pits, picks in round one. I think the Minnesota Wild are a team that, they're a veteran group that plays really good defense. Uh, and I think they're being underestimated a lot, but I, I don't see the wild going deep in the playoffs. I think if there's a sleeper team to me, it's the Columbus blue jackets. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, I talked to their captain, Nick Felino, the GM Yarmulkek line in the last few weeks, and there's a real sense of pride over what they accomplished, all the injuries that they had to overcome the fact that they, you know, and, and not just injuries before the injuries even struck, you know, you lose Bobrovsky, Panarin, Duchesne, and the fact that they're still in a playoff spot, and I know Nick Foligno, he had a real pride in his voice saying, you know, we had a next man up mentality when guys kept getting hurt, Bjorkstrand and Seth Jones and Cam Atkinson, on and on. And, you know, they've got very interesting goaltending. Elvis Merzlikens is a guy who got five shutouts at one point in a span of eight games. So we know he can get hot. He can, and that's what you need in the playoffs. You know, could this be kind of a, a Cam Ward 2006 where a yeah. rookie goes on a heater type of situation? Maybe. And I, and I think the Blue Jackets, they proved last year, they play a style that's conducive to playoff hockey. It's grinding, it's grubby, and I think when the refs let more go, their physicality, I think, plays better in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. I also think that there might be some rust as teams kind of get their legs back after this long layoff, and I think kind of a slower grinding game favors the Blue Jackets. I'm picking them to beat the Leafs, as you can probably tell, and I think this is a team that, you know, their offense is a bit underestimated because so many of their best players were hurt at various points in the season. They're not a great offensive team, but I don't think they're terrible. And they're a very strong defensive team. So that's a team I think that's a sleeper. If you want a sleeper, that's a, a, a team that was slightly 
in higher regard during the season. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are a team to really yeah. watch. This is a team that was seventh overall in points percentage, despite having Sidney Crosby out much of the season, Jake Gensel out much of the season. If they can figure out their goaltending, that's, mm-hmm. of course, a major question. Is it going to be Murray or Tristan Jerry? If they can figure that out, I think the Penguins are a team that could go all the way if everything clicks. Okay, you mentioned a team going all the way. I'm going to ask you at the end of this podcast for your eventual <clears throat> your eventual champion, but uh, I'll let you think about that now. But first, I'd like to ask you about some of the NHL award nominees recently named. I'll start with the Calder. Very likely, likely go down to Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. Who do you think takes that? It's so close. It's impossible to split the two of them. Uh, and I, I, I think I was tweeting, like, I was getting actual headaches just trying to decide between the two of them. I was staring as I was doing my ballot, I was like, ah, ah, and I kept going back and forth. Um, I think it's, I, I'm pretty sure that McCarr is going to win it. Yeah. He's just so dynamic offensively. Uh, but so it's great news. The, the two of them are statistically the best offensive defenseman in more than 30 years, best since Brian Leach's rookie season. Uh, I lean slightly toward Hughes. I think he was just asked to do a little bit more on the Canucks than McCarr was with Colorado. But again, it, it's, we're splitting hairs here. They both are tremendous. They both had tremendous impacts on possession. Even Adam Fox, who didn't, you know, he's not one of the finalists. He was tremendous too. John Marino was great for Pittsburgh. So amazing year for rookie defenseman. Um, if you're asking me who I think is going to get the victory, it's going to be McCarr. Yeah. But, you know, I can't reveal my entire ballot, but I did vote for Hughes over McCarr. There you go. It's, it's a great crop of rookie defensemen, that's for sure. Now, on the heart side of things, you got Nate McKinnon, you got Leon Draisaitl, you got Artemi Panarin. What a great year in his first season with the New York Rangers. Who takes the heart? What do you think? I, I think it's a Nathan McKinnon year. And again, it, it's clearly between that trio, and I think most people had them in some variation in the top three in their ballot. Um, there'll be some people angry if Leon Draisaitl doesn't win it. I think you can make a case he was the best, well, absolutely the best offensive player in the world this year. He was fantastic. He was very dominant in a brief stretch when Connor McDavid was out of the lineup. That said, a lot of Dreisaitl's production came, you know, on the power play with McDavid. The Oilers had the best power play since the New York Islanders of the late 1970s. <laughs> That's how good they were. Historically good. The best power play in more than 40 years. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to factor in that Dreisaitl benefited statistically from that as well. He also was average at best defensively. Whereas Nathan McKinnon, you know, again, the award is not best player. The Ted Lindsay Award goes to the best, most outstanding player as voted by the players. We're voting on the most valuable to his team. And I think Nathan McKinnon, you know, what he did with various injuries to Landis Cog and, and Miko Rantanen throughout the year, even Nazem Kadri later in the season, he mm-hmm. took the team on his back. Uh, and I, again, we're splitting Harris. It's such a close race. So you're looking for a slight tiebreaker. So to me, that's the slight tiebreaker. The fact that, Mc, that McKinnon had to deal with more adversity in terms of things happening to his teammates around him. Panarin, fantastic as well. Uh, just dominant offensively, but I think underrated defensively. At the same time, you know, People were trying to decide, you know, if you're someone that uses the playoffs as a tiebreaker, you know, do you consider Panarin making the playoffs? I don't really in terms of uh, award voting. I think, you know, he was, his team wasn't in the top 16. So being in the playoffs was a bit of a gift. I don't think that changes the way I view it in an award context. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, you do penalize Panarin for not making the playoffs. Right. Um, so I lean McKinnon, but I don't think there's a wrong choice between any of those three. I think Connor Hellebuck deserves some love too. I, you know, he might be the guy that elevated his team the most this season. So I wouldn't even blame someone if they put Hellebuck first because he really does fit the definition of most valuable to his team. You mentioned Hellebuck right there. I was going to ask you about the Vesna. I played goal for a lot of my life, and I, I love studying the game and, and how the game has evolved over the years. Is, is Hellebuck your shoe in for the Vesna? 
Yes, I think this, in theory, should be the easiest Vezina vote in a long time. Uh, if you look at the difficulty of workload, the Jets having lost so much on their defense core on the right side of their blue line, and they, it really showed they bled high-quality chances all year long. And Hellebuck, so he had a very difficult workload. He had one of the harder workloads in the league, and he still posted very high-end numbers. So to me, that's the hallmark of a great goalie. Whereas by comparison, if you look at Tukarask, who was fantastic this year, he had one of the easiest workloads in the league in terms of the way the Bruins funnel the chances, the number of chances, the quality of chances, expected goals, that stat, expected mm-hmm. goals against Tukarask near the top of the league, if not at the top of the league. So he had the easiest workload, one of the very easiest in the league, whereas Hellbuck had a very difficult workload. The only thing is that, you know, and I'm not saying this to knock GMs, but, you know, we don't vote, being the, the PHWA, we don't vote on, on the best net, the GMs do. And if you look historically, there's a bit of a leaning toward wins. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that there's an oversimplification just looking at the wins column, but there is a correlation. If you look at the history of the vote, the wins leader often gets a lot of love in the Vezina. Connor Hellbuck is not the wins leader. So is it possible that he's going to get penalized for that and gets, get robbed of the Vezina? Maybe. Hopefully not, though. Yeah, hopefully not. He had an unbelievable season. Always fun to watch him play, and he's one of the great competitors uh, between the pipes throughout the NHL. There was obviously a lot of news around the hockey world. Uh, just last week, the Seattle franchise finally unveiled its name. It was the Kraken. What do you think of the name and that new sharp jersey? It's funny how it goes in cycles. It's like, you know, in the 90s, every I call 90s like the predatory animal expansion <laughs> franchise run, like the Raptors, the Predator. Like, it was very common to do that kind of thing. And, and you know, it was the extreme with the letter X, extreme era. The jerseys were very loud. Uh, and then we've trended back to more, more of a vintage and classy kind of look and design for a lot of teams, their uniforms, team names, stuff, stuff like that. And you can hear Kraken. Kraken does remind me more of that throwback to the 90s where, mm. you know, they're kind of reacting to fan buzz, kind of like the Toronto Raptors. Because, you know, Kraken doesn't really tie to the history of, of Seattle. Like <laughs> Fraser Crane, they could be called, they could have been the Seattle Cranes. That would have been a more accurate representation of the city of Seattle. At the same time, I'm just like, you know what? It's fun. Kraken, release the Kraken. And, you know, fair or not, the fans are going to get called crackheads. The arena is going to be called the Krakos. It's just going to happen. And I, the franchise can't embrace that. But, it's gonna, you know, it's going to add to the, the craziness and mystique around the team. Um, so, Embrace the name. It's fun. And I think just the pregame presentation, they're going to learn a lot from what Vegas did. I'm sure mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, they might be pirate ships in the arena. Who knows what the mascot's going to look like, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be fun. Uh, and the, the uniforms, I think they look good. They're classy. I like the color scheme. I would have liked to see, I just, I just don't think there are enough teams that use green yeah. as, a, as a primary color scheme in, in the NHL or in sports in general. So I would have liked to see that. I know there was talk that um, they didn't want to, borrow too many colors from Vancouver being their rival. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that's why they didn't want that shade of green in there, but um, that would have been the only nitpick I had. Otherwise I think uh, I'm, I'm a fan. I get, I say thumbs up. All I know is that a dream road trip, whenever we're allowed to travel more extensively, Seattle, see the Kraken and then the Seahawks. I can't ask for a better weekend. I don't know about you. That sounds pretty great. Oh, for sure. And I think Seattle fans are, have proven themselves. And I know the, it's the Sounders, I believe in MLS that, uh, have a really good mm-hmm. following too. Um, and there's a real rivalry with Vancouver. And, you know, we know about the Seahawks. We, you know, picture Marshawn Lynch causing an earthquake during that, when he made that big run in the playoffs. And th- I think it's funny for a fan, for a city that's kind of known for being fairly cosmopolitan and, and you know, the birth of grunge and Starbucks, all those kind of things, their fans are pretty rabid. So uh, I'm expecting the Kraken fan base to be excellent and, and very raucous. 
I'm looking forward to seeing them too, for sure. Okay, before I let you go, a couple more questions. Just about your career, Matt. You've been at the Hockey News now since October of 2011, just before I was there for a summer way back in the day. Talk to us about your journey to get to the Hockey News. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, if you asked me when I was 10 years old, what I, what would I want to be doing? I'd say, I want to be covering hockey. So I've, in a lot of ways, realized one of my my main life dreams so i'm extremely thankful for it mm-hmm. I consider myself extremely lucky to you know cover a sport a game for a living a game that i've loved since i was a little kid so it's it's definitely a, a dream come true and you know there are different paths to get there for me it was um you know i'm sure a lot of people have are familiar with malcolm gladwell and the ten thousand hours theory and i got my ten thousand hours because when i was at i went to the school at the university of western ontario and they have a daily student newspaper called the Gazette. And at the time it was the only daily student newspaper in Canada. And you live the life of just covering sports for a full newspaper and you print daily, you're covering all, you know, the hockey team, basketball, all these different sports. You're living the life with, with deadline pressure and it kind of just forges you into a, almost like a fully formed pseudo journalist when you're done school. So I, I, that would that would be a path I really recommend to people. And, you know, you can go to J school, of course, that's very important, but getting the, the hands-on experience at a young age. So, you know, if, you, if you're in university, you're in school, cover your teams at that mm-hmm. school, get the reps, get the 10,000 hours, and you come out of there and you feel pretty ready. And really, whether it's the NHL, you're covering university sports, the job is the same. It's just the scale is bigger. But uh, I can't recommend that path enough. If you have the opportunity to work for your student paper and just get those reps in, do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, you mentioned reps and, and getting your 10,000 hours, and you've had the chance to interview many players throughout your time at the Hockey News. But who are some guys, if at all, who are still on your bucket list to interview? Ooh, well, it, it's, it sounds like a humble brag, but there aren't many left. I've, yeah, I was going to say. Almost, yeah, almost everyone. I'm trying to think. You know, if you look at, if you count retired players, I've never interviewed Wayne Gretzky. I think okay. that would be something special. You know, just the, he's, in my opinion, the greatest player who ever lived. Um, so that would feel very special in terms of the current group of players. Artemi Panarin is a guy that I would like to interview mm. because he's still dealing with the language barrier and it's known that he's a very clever and witty person. And obviously, you know, he's speaking out on a political basis, but he's just starting to get more comfortable. I think speaking English and in terms of doing interviews, he's still pretty elusive. Uh, but he's someone that I think would be a, a fun guy to, to have a longer conversation with and sit down and get to know better. So let's put Panarin on top of that bucket list. Okay, fascinating. Okay, so I teased this earlier. Before we let you go, who's your pick? Who's going to be lifting Lord Stanley at the end of this wild, wacky 2020 season? Well, I, I've said this before over the last couple of months, and my question to you is, okay, what, was the, what happened the last time a, a team won 62 games in the NHL? It was Detroit Red Wings in 95-96. They won the Stanley Cup the year after and the year after that. And I think it's going to happen again. I think the 62-win team is going to learn from its mistakes. I think Tampa Bay, you know, Julian Breezewell, the GM, understood what was missing last year, and it was grit and the ability to get dirty, especially in the forward group. And now you've added Patrick Maroon, Barkley Goodrow, and Blake Coleman to that group. Those are, I think, the pieces that were missing to what was already the most talented team in the NHL top to bottom. As long as Steven Stamkos' health cooperates, it's always a question, unfortunately. We know Victor Hedman hasn't joined the team, but he's expected to be ready when, when the games get real serious. Uh, and Steven Stamkos, we just, you know, you have to hope he's up to speed. So it is contingent on that. If Stamkos is able to, you know, especially for the round of 16, if he's ready by then, I like Tampa to right the wrong of last year, learn from that mistake, and, and go all the way. I think they're ready. 
It'll be very fascinating and awesome to see what happens throughout this play-in tournament and then once the playoffs get underway. Matt, thanks so much for your time today. All the best here going forward and enjoy watching some hockey. I will, Adam. Thanks. Enjoy as well. Thanks again to Matt Larkin for joining me here on the Scully Scoop podcast. Tampa Bay, that's his pick to make a run this year in the playoffs. And Columbus and Minnesota, a couple of expansion teams who came into the league together. Those are his dark horse picks. I'm looking forward to seeing it all happen. As I mentioned in the interview, I thought the NHL would be kind of weird to watch hockey in the middle of summer when it's been upwards of 35 to 40 degrees Celsius here in Toronto for the last month and a half or so, but I'm excited sports are back. It's a, it's a very exciting time to be a sports fan. That's for sure. Well, don't forget, subscribe to us on iTunes and on YouTube as well on SoundCloud. As usual, I'll promote these on my personal Twitter account, Adam underscore Scully, as well on Instagram. I have episodes coming out every Friday. This has been another fun edition of the Scully Scoop podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Oh,